0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney.
0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. Thanks very much for spending part of your day with us. Whether or not we realize that algorithms have Take it over our lives. The technology embedded in every major tech platform and web-enabled device influences the everyday decisions we make from what we buy, where we eat, what news we get, whom we date, and where we work, among other things. They even influence who we elect to powerful positions. Our next guest says that instead of surrendering ourselves to this world of algorithmic decision-making, we need to arm ourselves with better, deeper, and more nuanced understanding of it. Wharton Professor Kartik Osanagar has titled a new book, A Human's Guide to Machine Intelligence, How Algorithms Are Shaping Our Lives and How We Can Stay in Control. Among the ideas he proposes is an algorithmic bill of rights that both people and society can use for their protection, especially if they are fed up with being exploited by big data. Kartik is a professor of technology and digital business here at the Wharton School as well as a marketing professor and a pleasure to have him back on the show. Kartik, great to talk to you again.
1: Dan, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. Uh, I mean, it is, I would guess, a pretty common feeling amongst many people that, that algorithms are kind of taking over our lives and that there isn't a whole lot that we can do about it. Do you see that in general as well?
1: Yeah, I I tend to see that Uh, people do feel like uh, technology is taking over their life. But I also find that while some people uh, clearly have the sense that technology and in particular algorithms are taking over their decisions, mostly they actually underestimate the impact of these algorithms on the choices they make. So when I've done surveys and I've asked people... They kind of feel like, yes, algorithms are all around us. They inform a lot of my decisions, but usually, you know, I nod politely and I do mostly what I want. Uh, <laughs> but actually, the data suggests otherwise. So, uh, you know, in our research, we've found, uh, you know, simple things like, you know, we algorithms influence the products we buy on Amazon with, you know, people who bought this also bought this kind of recommendations. And we find that, you know, over a third of the sales at Amazon are informed by these recommendations. Uh, at Netflix, Uh, Over 80% of uh, the viewing activity uh, on the platform is driven by algorithms. Uh, And, of course, if you go to, you know, dating apps like Tinder and Match.com, you know, the vast majority of uh, matches are driven by algorithmic recommendations. So they're influencing who we date and who we marry. And they're also making life and death decisions. You know, uh, judges are being asked to consult uh, algorithms that predict the likelihood that a defendant would uh, reoffend. Uh, and use that information to make sentencing and parole decisions. Uh, Doctors are being asked to consult algorithms to uh, select treatment options for a patient. So in some ways, I'd say the stakes couldn't be higher, their impact couldn't be any higher. Um, And while people are starting to recognize that algorithms have an impact on their lives, you know, mostly I find people underestimate the impact.
0: Well, and and I find it interesting, as you kind of laid out that, that scenario, Uh, that we're talking about so many people that are really tied to the tech world, to the business sector, that have an understanding uh, of algorithms. And then, obviously, there is a segment of the population that does not have as much of an understanding uh, that that may very well be impacted by these decisions.
1: Yeah, these algorithms are making so many decisions for us or about us. And, yes, while technologists are aware of this you know lay people are not and you know when we apply for a loan there might be an algorithm deciding whether uh, it's approved or not or what's the actual uh, rate of interest we might uh, be paying um, when we apply for a job you know an algorithm might be screening resumes and deciding you know who gets invited for job interviews um, so there's a lot of decisions uh, in our personal lives and in our professional lives that are influenced uh, by algorithms and I think, you know, many of us tend to use technology somewhat passively. Um, and I think that time, the time ha- has come that we be more deliberate about these choices, that we understand what's happening behind the scenes. Um, because if we don't, then, you know, we might lose the narrative, lose control over the narrative of how, you know, technology impacts us.
0: So then what are what are some of the main things for people that will get this book and, and read it? What are some of the main things you really want to try and, and bring forward, looking at algorithms and looking forward in our culture?
1: Yeah, first of all, you know, a lot of people have the wrong mental models about algorithms. A lot of people tend to think of algorithms uh, and machines as rational, objective decision makers. Um, and in fact, we're starting to see that modern algorithms that are based on artificial intelligence uh, tend to uh, sometimes have biases, fairness issues, and so on. Uh, for example, late last year, there was a news story of Amazon using algorithms for resume screening uh, because they have you know millions of job applications for over 100,000 positions they filled uh, last year. And it turned out that you know, in all their tests, uh, they couldn't get rid of a gender bias in the algorithm, and eventually, you know, they decided not to roll out the algorithm. But you have Amazon, which is a highly sophisticated company that did all the tests. But there's many other companies using such algorithms who are not running these kinds of tests. Uh, there was also the story of, uh, you know, in 2016, of algorithms used to make uh, sentencing and parole decisions in courtrooms in the U.S., and that ended up having a race bias. Uh, where, you know, two people with similar profiles, it was more likely uh, to uh, be harsh and to penalize an African-American than, um, say, a white person. And so you're starting to see these kinds of biases, and these are just two examples. There's many more. And I think we need to recognize that algorithms can be prone to these biases. They are learning from data, and at the end of the day, the data is generated by decisions that we all make, And if humans have biases, then the data from which the algorithms are learning have biases, and then the algorithms learn the bias as well. And so... We need to be careful as consumers. I think regulators need to consider this. I think firms that are deploying the algorithms, they need to consider this. So in the book, I actually lay out you know, what should individuals do, what should firms do, what should uh, regulators do.
0: Yeah, and I was going to say probably there are differences in all three of those uh, areas right now to be able to make sure that, that I guess, to a degree, you, you have uh, the benefits that, that want to come forward but also have it as, a, to a degree, a level playing field.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You you do want a, a level playing field. Um, you know, a lot of people feel helpless against technology and the algorithms because these are giant companies that roll it out. And, uh, you know, we often feel like we don't have another option. You know, if you wanted to, uh, let's say, use a search engine, Google seems like the only uh, reasonable option for most people. If you're uh, trying to, uh, you know, connect with friends on social media, Facebook is – The dominant option. If you want to, um, you know, uh, transact online, you know, e-commerce, Amazon is the dominant option. So it feels like, you know, for people, yes, you know, I can learn about this, but what impact can I have? Um, And I like to say that actually, there's a lot that individuals can do. Uh, You know, and first of all, in terms of the power we have, you know, the power is really, it comes down to, you know, our knowledge, our dollars and our votes. Um, in terms of knowledge, it's actually understanding, you know, being aware of, uh, you know, how the technology works, what's actually going on behind the scenes, and not be passive users of the technology. Um, and, and people tend to underestimate the value of education, and we've seen many instances where uh, we have successfully a pushback on technologists and companies in terms of the way they use technology. A great example is what's going on at Facebook right now. You know, it's a lot of pushback from consumers with regard to privacy that's making Facebook revisit their entire product design and say that, wow, we need to, uh, you know, rethink how what a product looks like going forward. And that's pretty much the power of consumers. Uh, beyond education, you've got, you know, votes. You know, we should be looking for elected representatives who understand these issues. Yeah. Um, And there's not that many out there who deeply understand this and they're going to make uh, important decisions for us. So we should look for uh, representatives who are going to, um, you know, think about consumer protection and understand the technology's capabilities and risks well. And then finally, it's the dollars. I mean, we have to recognize that you know we you know sometimes we we should be willing to walk away if the technology uh, doesn't seem right for us so if you feel like you know and that line that we draw might be different for different people for somebody it might be i'm just not I'm, I'm just not comfortable with facebook seeing my data so i won't be on facebook for somebody else you know that's perfectly fine but maybe it's the sharing of data that's problematic so i wouldn't want facebook to share the data for somebody else it might be all of this is fine but i don't want you know let's say a smart speaker sitting in my living room and listening to my conversations. So each of us might draw a line differently, but we have to draw a line and kind of say that, you know, if these companies are going to make money off us, then they have to also come to this table and, and uh, you know, make sure they understand what we want from them.
0: We're joined by Karthik Osanagar, a Wharton professor, joining us on the phone, author of the new book, A Human's Guide to Machine Intelligence. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you're not able to get to your phone, you can send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio, B-I-Z Radio 132, or you can use my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. You know, one of the other examples you give in the book, early parts of the book, uh, in Wall Street and on you know May the 6 2010 a- and the crash that was uh, was felt that day and there was an element of how algorithms were kind of a, a byproduct of-, of kind of a massive electronic sale that day
1: yeah it's a very interesting uh, phenomenon where uh, the market started crashing uh, on May 6 uh, 2010 and uh, the market actually lost nearly one trillion dollars in a matter of uh, 30 to 40 minutes. And that's a huge uh, crash in the market. Now, regulators stepped in and they, um, you know, put an end to trading. And eventually the market did recover uh, and uh, regain most of the losses. But it kind of raised this puzzle. Why would the market crash like this? You know, blue chip stocks were trading at for pennies and so on. And when they started looking into it, you know, there were many explanations. One of those, which actually, uh, you know, it turns out has a lot of credibility, was that uh, there were a lot of trading algorithms that uh, started selling and they were observing each other and they started um, almost to get into this uh, loop where each one's looking at the other and, and selling and it caused the market to crash. And uh, clearly it spooked regulators and, and it told us that, look, if algorithms are going to make so many trading decisions, we also need to have certain controls. Um, and the CFTC, the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, actually came in and started putting in some regulation. Uh, unfortunately, it was initially misdirected because they were saying, "Hey, we want all these companies that are trading to be willing to release their source code, um, you know, if things go wrong." And the challenge with that is, you know, the source code is proprietary. These trading algorithms are proprietary, so companies are not willing to to just release their source code like that. Um, and that doesn 't solve the problem all and and the other aspect of it is that increasingly the modern algorithms that are based on AI the source code will not even tell you a whole lot about the logic or you know why an algorithm did what it um, did because you know these algorithms are learning from data so it 's not in the source code that a programmer has programmed specific steps or actions it should take, but it 's all in the data, so just looking at the source code will not tell you much so it 's a very tough um balancing act for regulators
0: uh you mentioned before talking about policy and, and politics and obviously in this age of big data uh what we see in terms of our political landscape is being uh being i don't want to say influenced because it may not be the right word but there is definitely an impact because of 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 how big data is playing a role in uh, in in the path of, of politics on a variety of different realms. So, is there a concern on your part about that that influence that may be occurring where politics is concerned?
1: Yeah. So, Facebook is a very interesting example of that. In in 2016, we all heard about the fake news controversy on Facebook. We heard about uh, the echo chamber that people are in, in on Facebook, and how that might have influenced the elections. Um, And so, indeed, these technologies and algorithms have a big impact on choices we make, including choices related to the electoral process um, and the political system. And these technologies are not only influencing, you know, who gets elected, it also influences how our elected representatives Serve citizens as well. So they're being used, for example, by school boards to assign students uh, to public schools. They're used, as I mentioned, in courtrooms in the U.S. to make sentencing decisions. So they're very much tied to the political process, both in terms of how we um, you know, form our views about uh, elected representatives and who we elect and also how they eventually serve us. And so it's not surprising to see Politicians get into this. Uh, just this morning, Senator uh, Elizabeth uh, Warren actually uh, suggested a rather radical idea, which is that you break up uh, some of uh, America's largest tech companies—Amazon, like yes. Google, and Facebook—and I think um, that shows you how uh, you know the political, uh, how politics and technology is increasingly tied together. But I do think her proposal is a bit misdirected, uh, I think it will be uh, a huge problem for uh, the U.S. tech companies, but also the U.S. economy as a whole to take uh, very aggressive action like that.
0: And, and that was one of the things I wanted to touch on anyway, is the fact that when you're talking about some of these potential changes, that you do have to take into effect what the the, the overall economic impact would be uh, so that you don't have a, a severe negative come up.
1: That's right. That's right. I mean, at some level, we've got to acknowledge that uh, technology has been a big engine for growth in the U.S. and for job creation as well uh, since uh, since 2008. Also, the U.S. is competing uh, with China that is investing very aggressively in in new technologies, including AI. And so if you uh, come at it with a very heavy hand, then the risk is that the U.S. falls behind. And so one has to be careful about, you know, what kind of actions you take. I do believe that some regulatory action is needed, and that's where the Bill of Rights I proposed comes in. And I've also proposed that, you know, you have federal oversight agencies and so on. So I do believe some of those are important. But, you know, we've got to be careful about overstepping here, things like breaking companies up and so on, because, you know, the consequences in terms of, the economy, job creation, and global competitiveness uh, could be uh, very uh, significant.
0: 844-942-7866. If you'd like to join on the phone with your comments or questions, to the phones we go. Fort Collins, Colorado. Brenton is on the line. Brenton, go ahead, sir. Uh, Yes, I was uh, just listening to the conversation today, and Yesterday morning, while looking through Apple News, I read about a new AI that is capable of scanning a person's LinkedIn profile, and it was available for individuals like myself to download. They'd given it a name. I, that name escapes me at the moment. But my question is, how does someone like myself who's looking, you know, actively looking for um, a job protect against that you know, in a business platform you know, that, I, that I also pay for um, to promote myself in?
1: Um, what what steps could I take uh, to avoid those biases uh, that could be found in that AI? Karthik, yeah, that's a great question. So if you have AI that is screening uh, job applications or even just scouring the web, you know, looking at LinkedIn profiles and alerting recruiters, you know, you want to hire this person and so on. Uh, you know, in terms of the control we have as individuals in ensuring that you know, the let's say these algorithms don't have biases and they're not uh, misdirected in some ways, you know, that's where I think we have to, you know, really recognize the power of the collective and, um, you know, really push back on some of these things. A good example when uh, Google uh, rolled out Google Duplex, uh, which was this, um, you know, which is a service that will help us, you know, for example, make uh, restaurant reservations and so on, their algorithms and AI was capable of simulating human voice and call small businesses and pretend to be a human and make a reservation. And there was a lot of pushback that said, hey, you, can, uh, you, know, you need to let these businesses know that this is an AI system calling and you're not talking to a human being. And Google said, okay, we get what you're saying and we'll, we'll fix that. So I think some of this just comes down to advocacy, And also, again, as I mentioned, go back to elected representatives and uh, ask for certain rights. And one of the things that I have uh, advocated for is that, you know, before you deploy these algorithms in settings where there are social consequences to the algorithms, algorithms must be audited by a team that is independent of the team that made the algorithm. So I've uh, been talking to many companies and I've been pushing this idea that you need to have plan for uh, AI audit and validation, and this should be done independent of uh, the AI development. And this is something I'm also trying to push in the policy circles, that we actually have certain basic regulation that um, uh, establishes certain best practices, or even if it's not regulation, but we actually have some sort of a directive that encourages companies to uh, push for certain basic measures, such as... uh, You know auditing and so on having said that to answer the the question what can we do as individuals today it's hard for me to take action that ensures uh tomorrow the ai does not have any bias against me and that's really what this book is trying to say that as individuals we can't drive that kind of change tomorrow and we've got to kind of step back and ensure that we collectively push for changes And we also ask our elected representatives to actually uh, push for changes as well. Brenton,
0: thanks very much for the uh, comment and the question coming from Colorado. One of the things I wanted to touch on, uh, Kartik, before we uh, end the segment, is this idea of an algorithmic Bill of Rights. Take us into what you are kind of proposing here.
1: Yeah, the algorithmic Bill of Rights is in some ways inspired by the Bill of Rights in the U.S. Constitution. And the history of that Bill of Rights was that, you know, when the Founding Fathers were setting up the Constitution, they were worried that they might be creating a federal government that's too powerful and that they might be moving from one form of tyranny to another form of tyranny. So they actually put in the Bill of Rights to protect citizens against a powerful government. And today, uh, you know, we worry that there's a lot of power with these technology companies. And so my uh, algorithmic Bill of Rights is actually a set of – Uh, procedures or a set of uh, proposals that's meant to provide consumers with uh, greater protection from powerful algorithms that are making decisions for us or about us. And so in the Bill of Rights are things like uh, transparency, being informed when an algorithm is making a decision uh, about us, uh, transparency with regard to what kinds of data are being used. So, for example, the caller asked, hey, if uh, AI system is uh, using my LinkedIn profile or maybe even my social media uh, messages on uh, Twitter or Facebook to make decisions about whether I should be invited for a job interview, we should be informed. So transparency with regard to what kind of data are used, because many times companies are using data we don't even know they have access to. Um, and transparency with regard to or explanations with regard to the uh, actual decisions, you know, why they were made the way they were at a very high level. Uh, but transparency is one big pillar. Yeah. Uh, the ability for consumers to have some control over the way algorithms work, uh, not everywhere, but in some key critical social settings is another pillar. Again, the caller asked about, you know, this AI that's screening information on LinkedIn. You know, can we say uh, that? you know, this is allowed or not allowed, what kind of control do we have is important. Today, some ad platforms give us control where we can say, uh, you know, do not show us ads such as these. And we can uh, give that kind of feedback. So some level of control is needed. And so that's another pillar. A formal test for fairness and bias is another important element to this. And I've mentioned audits. Uh, So these are some of the things that I've mentioned um, as key pillars uh, in an era when algorithms have a lot of clout on us and we want to provide some some level of consumer
0: protection and, and it seems like that's an idea that that can can really have some ground to it because uh, new york city i guess passed a bill uh, back in december of 2017 to have a transparency in terms of how the city government was was using algorithms to drive a lot of the decisions so there there is this understanding even to a degree that that this is something important to look at
1: Yes, the New York uh, effort and initiative is interesting and, and, uh, you know, shows that this issue is so nuanced. Uh, I think they rightly recognize problems in terms of uh, the use of algorithms by the city to make decisions such as, you know, which policemen are assigned to which precincts, which children are assigned to which schools, and so on. And they said, hey, we need more transparency. And the original proposal was, hey, any company that provides us software that uses these kinds of algorithms should make the source code public. And, of course, all companies protested because this is proprietary, and actually making the source code public allows hackers to attack these systems as well. Um, And then they kind of backed off that and realized they don't really understand these issues um, and the nuances here, and so they finally uh, put out something which I think is uh, somewhat innocuous, but it's a start nonetheless where they said, hey, we need an a task force to look into this. So the bill currently is just saying that there's going to be a task force that's going to look into this. That's a start, but that isn't really protection yet.
0: Cardick, thanks very much for coming on the show, and good luck with the book. Thank you very much, sir.
1: Well, thank you for having me. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.